Welcome to the Heart for the World Church Sermon Podcast. It is our desire that you will be greatly encouraged as Pastor Dale Walker and others bring a fresh word from God directly to your heart. Be blessed. I'm excited to share the word today. If you'd like to look in your sermon outline as we continue, again, all of you online, thanks for joining us. It's just a privilege to have you as we talk about uh, God's hope for healing a divided world. And I I wanted to just bring this to your attention. Have you ever had one of those moments where you had this uncomfortable feeling? You felt like, I know I'm supposed to take a stand right now, but I don't know what to do. And I just just don't feel adequate. What should happen, you know? I just had this, literally a defining moment happened like two weeks after when I first started school. I didn't go to kindergarten, but in first grade. Now, this is amazing. My, My life was really marked when I was six years old in this way. And all I remember was, there were these bullies all of a sudden, and they were, they were really mocking this girl, had some kind of special needs, and I don't know what was going on. And I felt this big thing in me like, man, you got to do something. You got to say something. And I walked over there and just couldn't get something to come out, and they were being really bad. And, and, and finally, someone else came up and said, you guys, stop it. And, and then all of a sudden, I got brave. Well, I, I went home, and I started to unpack that with my parents and all. And, and it was a defining moment because they said, uh, Dale, you have a call, and leaders always are the first to act when there's injustice. But you got to be prepared to do it. you got to think about this. And I, I just remember that as, as I grew up. And that's something I want to talk to you about today, about justice and, and, and compassion, being willing to stand up in a world when there's wrong. Justice means making wrong things right. <laughs> How many know that's what Jesus came to do? Make the wrong things right. And it's something he calls each and every one of us to. And it's at the heart of this teaching on what the third option is all about. As we look at the, what are this, the racial divides, as the injustices in terms of people suffering and hungering, all kinds of things. We've talked about the fact that there's three options, and you see in your sermon notes. Number one is the option to react in anger, hurt, or fear. <laughs> when you see injustice, we can get angry. We can get afraid. We can, and there's a lot of people today. They're just angry. They're hurt. We talked about that last week. What do hurt people usually do? They hurt people, right? <laughs> they just get that. What do you do when you feel injustice? You usually what? You feel like revenge. I heard kind of a funny story. This guy, Dave Hagler, was writing how he's an umpire in, uh, up in Boulder, Colorado for a, you know, a men's kind of softball league. And he was driving one day, and this policeman pulled him over. I mean, he was just like going one mile over the speed limit. And the policeman was really rude to him and gave him a ticket. And he really, he kind of got steamed up about that. Well, the funny thing is, the next week, that police officer was on, was on the, uh, one of the softball teams that was going to play. And he was the umpire. <laughs> and the police officer sort of recognized him and said, hey, how did it go with that ticket? And his response was, all I can tell you is you better swing at anything. <laughs> I mean, when people are unjust, we, we just want to get back at them. 
We just want to get upset. A, a second option is be tolerant. We can just say, I'm a good person. I'm going to hold things inside. I know our world is in trouble, but, but I've got my issues. I just got to handle life. That's their problem, and I don't want to get involved. Um, but there's a third option. We call it being someone who decides to transform your world. And I want to talk to you about this. Because it's, it's in your nature, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. You were born with the transformer, Jesus Christ, living inside of you. You've been born again to stand up, to shake it up, to build up, to fill in the gap. When there's hurt and injustice, to be like those firefighters at 9-11. When everyone was running out, what were they doing? They were running in. The Bible calls that being an intercessor, someone who... Who steps in, who steps in and, and brings right where there's wrong. Look at Matthew 5:13. Very familiar, but we need to remind ourselves of this. Matthew 5:13. You are the salt. Can you just look at somebody and read, say this to them? You, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. All right, ready? Look at him again and say, you, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I want you to see it's so beautiful that Jesus says we're salt. Now, at the heart of that means we have something inside of us that's, that's different, that's powerful. And when it comes to the issues we're discussing, um, we have learned last week that inside of us is what the gospel brought, new belief system. We, we learned about the cross last week, and and, and it changes everything when you believe what God says is true. We, we have one blood. The blood of Jesus flows through us. It doesn't matter who we are or what we are. We are one. God has made us one. God has broken down the walls. He has given us a heart that's changed, that loves people, that doesn't have to judge. He's done this awesome thing for us. And these beliefs are the foundation of all change. And one of the things I was reflecting on and, and this book talks a lot about it, too, was just what a blessing to live in America where we have a country in which beliefs and values really of our founding fathers were influenced and shaped by Judeo-Christian values, by the Bible. And, and, and it's just awesome. And again, let me just remind you of our Declaration of Independence because it has a lot with, to do with honor. It says, we hold these truths, can you help me, to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Don't you love that? See, that comes right from the Bible. <laughs> That's from the Bible. You were created in the image of God. And Jesus shed his blood for every human being, so they're of eternal worth. Even if they act like jerks, they're of worth. <laughs> They're of value because Jesus shed his blood for them. And these, these beliefs lay a foundation, but they're not enough in themselves. And that's what I'm talking about. 
The third option can't just mean having the right values and beliefs. It means taking action to make a difference. It's not enough to just be good people. Well, I'm good. I'm, it, it, you know, what Jesus says is, what good is the salt if it stays in the salt shaker? <laughs> it's got to make something salty. And he says it's not good enough just that you have the right values. you got to do something. And, and you got to transform the world. Look at 1 John 3, 16 to 18. I just think this is a good reminder to all of us. 1 John 3, 16. This is how we know what love is. Why? Because Jesus did something. <laughs> he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them. Now, I want you to, to notice this word pity. It's a word compassion. It's one of the most powerful words in the Bible. It means if you don't have gut pain. That's literally what it means. It's a, it's a word that means something hits you in the gut. Something hits you like, I can't stand that they're in that situation. In fact, Jesus is saying, this is how you know you're born again. Because when you see injustice, it gets under your skin. You feel it inside of you. How can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let's read this verse together. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. In other words, love doesn't just think or speak, love acts. Or as Bob Goff, that author writes, love does, love is always doing, love just does. This is the heart of something that I think God wants to put in our spirit. You see, you were born to make a difference if you're a Christian. You were born with the spirit of God in you that stirs in you the same way it stirred in God, in Jesus, to heal the wrongs. It's, it's your nature, friends. It's what you're about. And, and it's, it's your identity. And this is the idea that we are not just made to avoid going to hell. We're made to tear down the gates of hell. I like to say we're made to give hell hell, you know. We, we aren't just made to be good. We're made to turn evil in its tracks. We're made not just to hope someday revival will come. We're made to activate revival. And that's what we're going to learn about in this verse in a second. Some people say, well, revival, when revival? No, revival comes when you act in compassion. <laughs> you release the presence of God. By your love. Some of you recognize the name Christine Kane. I love to listen to her preach, but she tells a story about when her son was four years old and she was uh, kind of teaching him at home about this verse. You were the light of the world, and you know, you've got to let their little light shine and all of this. And, and, and I love what his reaction was. He runs into his bedroom and gets his little flashlight. And he runs to his mom and he says, Mommy, when can we please go find some darkness? <laughs> Isn't that good? Don't you wish Christians would say, 
I got to go find some. I'm sorry, pastor. I know we'd like to fellowship and sing kumbaya and all that, but I got to go find some darkness because I got this light happening and it's, it's going to change the world, but it can't change the world under the bed. <laughs> I got to get out there where someone's hurting and, and struggling. I have to understand, and we have to understand, we were created for a higher purpose. Whatever you do in life, to, the moment you're a Christian, you were born for a higher purpose. You were born to change the world. That's, I don't know what your job is, but I do know what your purpose is. Wherever you are, there's one reason you're on planet Earth, and that's to make it different. I heard Steve Harvey, the comedian, just, he's such a great Christian, so funny, but, but I love what this quote I found of his. He says, your career is what you get paid for, but your calling is what you're made for. So your career may be a, a teacher or electrician or whatever it is, and that's good, but your calling, you were made to make a difference. You were made to turn dark places into light. You were made to heal, to restore. The Spirit of the Lord is on you, Luke 14 says, to bring, to bring good news to people who are oppressed under a burden too heavy to carry, to heal the brokenhearted, to comfort people who mourn, to go into prisons and say, there's a way you can be free. And you'll never be happy. You'll be a fish out of water your whole life if you don't get this, your purpose. It's the reason you're to wake up. It's the reason you're to, to go out after it and the reason you're to go to work. And, and part of that means feeling a burden for things that aren't right in the world. I put in your notes, the greatest threat to most Christians' potential is not, to go, not that they're tempted to go out and do evil, but they're tempted to tolerate evil and do little to oppose it. <laughs> so that's why that second option is so dangerous. I'm not really worried about you guys going, being axe murderers or something like that. But what I'm worried about is that you become desensitized, insulated, you wouldn't see injustice. And you just go through your life and say, well, I'm busy, or when I get it all together, when I make my million dollars or whatever, that I'm going to get involved in humanitarian relief or whatever stuff you make excuses to do. But here is what making a difference means. It means, it means I can't tolerate what God can't tolerate. It means you let things get under your skin. You know what I'm talking about. I believe that in every one of our lives, there's a justice calling. And there's something that is supposed to get you in a way that you can't stand it. I don't know what it is. It's different for everyone. Whether it's a trafficking thing or, or it's, it's people without health care or, or, or whether it's just injustice. But there's something, you know, just recently I was just reading this study about how many eighth graders can't read right now. 
And, and just like people from certain school districts, and, and, and they're going to school, but they didn't get to have a mom and dad who read to them when they were little kids. They, didn't have, they don't have any reinforcement. The neighborhoods they live in, nobody's enforcing them to learn. And, and nobody can really see it. They keep getting passed and passed. But someday, they will live their whole life with this ceiling, invisible ceiling, that says you're only going to go so high because you never learned this. Folks, that's just not right. And so there's just thousands of these kinds of issues. And to be a Christian means something begins to rub you deep inside. And in the power and the name of Jesus, you stand up. And you do that brave thing. When all the bullies are around, you jump in the middle of the fight. Because you have to. I believe this is God's pathway to revival. I loved what Martin Luther King Jr. said. Again, I went back, and I, I just encourage you, if you haven't read the, his letters from the Birmingham jail, it's just such a classic because it's written to pastors. That's why it just totally, it totally blows me away every time I read it. But while Martin Luther King was in jail, what he said was, the thing, the thing that was tearing him up was not the bigots. It was what he called the moderates. Pastors who said, yes, I believe in equality, blah, 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 but we can't be too radical here. Jesus had a name for us, lukewarmers, right? <laughs> lukewarmers. And, and he, said, he said, no, we can't just wait. No, I just can't say it'll get better. I need somebody. In fact, in one story, one of the people put in prison for, you know, for standing up for justice was there, and a friend came and said, what are you doing in there? And he said, what are you doing out there? <laughs> Why didn't you stand up for something? And, and, and this is a quote, and I have it in your notes. I thought it was so powerful. It says, we will have to repent in this generation, not merely for the cruel words and actions of the bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Isn't that powerful? See, that's that second option. Just tolerate. Just tolerate. Let's look at Isaiah 58. This is... This is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. I'm just humbled to even be able to read it. Let's just go through it. Several verses. Isaiah 58. Shout with the voice of a trumpet blast. Shout aloud. Don't be tempted. Tell my people their sins. Of Israel their sins. Yet they act so pious. They come to the temple every day and seem delighted to learn all about me. They act like a righteous nation that would never abandon the laws of God. They ask me to take action on their behalf, pretending they want to be near me. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? We've been very hard on ourselves, and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why, I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fast will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wing. 
You dress in burlap and cover yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you really think this will please the Lord? No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free and remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who need them. Do not hide from relatives. I love that line. (laughs) I've done that. They're after me. (laughs) Then your salvation will come like the dog and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, the Lord will answer, yes, I am here. He will quickly reply, remove the heavy yoke of oppression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. How many know that's an unjust thing to do? Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you are dry and restoring your strength. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an overflowing spring. Some of you, listen to this, I love this. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then you will be known as the rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. Can somebody say, ouch? (laughs) That's a good ouch. What do we learn from this passage? Number one is very simple. God is greatly concerned about issues of justice and compassion. God, the Bible says, is the God of the poor. He's the God of the fatherless, and he's the God of the widow. What you need to know is that if you really read the Bible, um, the Bible is so clear about the priority God has that God is disproportionately concerned about the underprivileged. You can never go through the Bible and say, well, I'm going to get around to helping the poor sometime. If you really read what the Bible says, it always is saying the same thing. Drop everything now. Somebody needs your help. And it's just, you know, James 1.29, what is true religion? To, to care for widows and orphans in their distress. I mean, it's just everywhere in the Bible. God's heart for the poor. Secondly, God does not tolerate injustice. Now, there may be a time, but someday it will be judged. And the way God wants to judge it is through transformation. He wants us to do something about it. (laughs) But he will, I love what Luke 18 says, he will hear the cry of those crying out day and night for justice, those who are oppressed, those who who are put down. He will hear their cries. And he will do something. And the way he wants to, to move is to do something now through us. Can you get this feeling? You know what? I got the feeling when I was studying this. Injustice is God's pet peeve. It just rubs him the wrong way. You know what I mean by a pet peeve? I, I once asked people in my life group, everybody tell me your pet peeve. You know, we got, you know, doing your knuckles and chalkboards. I, I never forget one lady said, my pet peeve is middle-aged men with pop bellies working out in the yard. It's disgusting. Whatever. 
I, I don't know, but God has a pot peep, a, a pet, not a pot belly. <laughs> I've been working on that one. But God has a pet peeve. Sanctimonious religious people who do all kinds of religious service and then they cheat their laborers out of fair wages. They take bribes. They cheat their taxes. They hoard their wealth. They take and use their privilege to get their kids a better scholarship or to get a shortcut over here. They... They, they, they don't care about their own family. They leave their relatives in a nursing home and just ignore it, you know, that they need their help. They, they live a life of selfishness. And God says, I can't stand that. Don't you understand? I'm a God of justice who wants to make things right. God has this enormous compassion I just love that word compassion because it means God gets a gut punch every time he seems, sees suffering. Oh, not again. Not again. Not another unjust prison sentence. Oh, not again. Someone kicked out of their home. Nobody cared about their situation. Not again. And he, he behooves us throughout his word. Somebody share my pain. Somebody come over here where I'm at. He takes personal the way people treat. Don't you love that story where Jesus says, in the last day, at judgment day, can you think of all the things you could be judged for? But, but the thing Jesus is going to say, this always just blew my mind. When he rewards people or punishes people, he's going to say, hey, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was naked and you clothed me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was in the hospital. You took care of me. And they say, well, when did we see a homeless person? And he goes through the list and he says, when you have done it for the least of these. You didn't know this, but you were doing it for me. That's how personal I took that. You are giving me the highest form of worship. See, the highest form of worship is not just singing, and although that's, God loves that, the highest form of worship is to treat those who have the least as if they were Jesus. In 2010, I wrote this book, Kissing the Face of God, and some of you are new, you didn't hear that, but you know, I, way back when we were starting this church, I... I was just praying about compassion, and, and, and the Holy Spirit just spoke to me. He says, there, he says, Dale, I want you to care for those who are hurting the most that are invisible. Nobody sees and knows where they are right now in the city of Las Cruces. And I, and I began to ask, and he said, well, start with the nursing homes, you know. And it was Christmas time, and so a bunch of the people from our church, we went over to Casa de Oro there, and, and we did a Christmas party for the people who had Alzheimer's and dementia, and it was just sort of a funny thing because we brought all this Christmas stuff. And, and uh, when I got up there, I was going to lead some Christmas carols. I was excited because I don't get to play my guitar very much because most people won't listen to me, but they, they will. <laughs> the only problem is they were all asleep. And I preached my best sermon. 
Yes, people, Jesus was born. Yes, and they were all just. I said, okay, okay, let's try a song. Joy to the world. I said, okay, God, this isn't working. And he said, so clear to my heart, Dale, just put down your guitar and go kiss each one on the forehead and just tell them that you love them. I went to the first one, you know, I kissed right on the forehead and you just. <laughs> that happened two or three times. But then there's this elderly lady. I came up to her and I just kissed her. She was all bent over. When I kissed her, I said, I love you so much. She, she jumps up. She says, I love you too. Suddenly the Holy Spirit just fell in that room. People started waking up. We started singing. We started doing some dancing. Never felt just the joy of God in a greater way. And as I was wrapping it up, I heard the Lord speak to me so deeply. He said, Dale, do you know how lonely I was? Do you know some, sometimes my family hasn't even talked to me in 15 years? I'm just waiting to die, but you came. And do you know what I felt, Dale, when you kissed me? I felt value. I felt worth. And I just walked out of there and said, oh, my gosh. I just kissed the face of God. Now, the point is not that other forms of worship aren't important. The point is that we worship so God can do a work in our heart to take us to those people because if we don't have the inner work, the fear of man will hold us back. Our own prejudice, our own self-absorption, that's why we've got to come to church. That's why we've got to get on our face. Why? Because it changes our heart and then we want to go to the poor. Then we have time to spend a day helping somebody find where a place they could live or helping a, an elderly person who can't figure out how to turn on her heater. It has to be, dot, do we worship over here or do we worship that way? No, we worship this way so we can go and do those things as an act of worship to Jesus in a way that his spirit comes. And what I wanted you to see in that passage today was this is the pathway to revival. He says, when people do this, the light breaks in. He says, the, the devastation of generations, wrongs that are institutionalized, families that have been hurt, dysfunctioned for, for 100 generations, something happens when my people stand up for justice and do compassion. I do things bigger than they could ever imagine. I, I stir up people's spirits. I, I cause people to be born again. I cause people to have new hope. I heal families. This is how revival comes. This is the way it comes through us. What I have learned, and, and so many times we've talked about it, in this verse says, if you want the favor of God on your life, it's here. Run to the destitute. Because God has this soft spot in his heart. And he said, oh, you did that? Oh, 
you did that for me. Now watch me reward your life. I've told the story. We were trying to buy this building. We couldn't afford it. But our churches, we were in the Philippines and feeding the little kids and doing all this. And I stopped in, uh, in Japan and I was laying there. And the Holy Spirit just woke me up in the night. He says, Jesus says, Dale, because you guys have built my house in the nation, I will give you a house. Just watch. God did a $500,000 miracle in one week we had to buy this property and to get in it. I have seen every time that I've, that I've gone out of this comfort zone, God has come. I've seen God heal me. I talked about 1989, a, a diagnosis of depression. And what God told me to do, he said, go to Juarez and start serving the hungry there. And started going on Friday night. One day, the depression just left me. Why? Because this is how your healing will come forth speedily, he says. Do you have financial needs? He said, so, give. And he says, it'll be given to you, pressed down, shaken, together, running over. You will not be able to stop the blessing because those who care for the poor open the wallet of God upon their life. There's always enough when you are a vehicle of compassion. You will see God do supernatural things. We had our drive through our giving away food boxes. Please be praying. It looks like we might be able to get some more boxes here soon. And we have the food pantry, though. And one fellow, they came through, and we pray for them, each of them. And Misael and them do a beautiful job leading it. And, and, and this man, he was so down because he, he had shingles. And he just said, oh, I'm suffering so much. And they said, can we pray for you? And they gathered around the car, and they prayed over him. The next week, he came to get a box of food. He jumped up, and he said, brothers, I'm healed. <laughs> and he was just so excited. God's power had touched him. Because wherever compassion goes, the kingdom comes. The power of God visits in amazing ways. So how do we bring compassion? Just have to go quick. Just a few things from this passage. Number one, we have to hear their hearts before we can really bring healing to their lives. You know, compassion and justice are, are first and foremost standing in other people's shoes, feeling their rights violated as if it were your rights violated, and being willing to totally identify with them. We have a precious lady in our church who's an attorney, for the immigration department here. And I just really wanted to, to uh, drill down with Gia. What, what's the most important thing you do to help people? And she just says, I just try to hear their story. She says, you know, some of these people, they'll say, well, they're criminals. But, you know, when you hear their stories, how many know everybody has a story and every story matters? And when you just hear their heart, God shows up. Walls come down. In the book, Third Option, he talks about this officer, Mike, and he, he was assigned to go into to one of the worst neighborhoods and the projects of, the, the, of this big city. He, he, as, a, as a police officer, he was shamed. They called him names. They hated him. And he just said, man, I just didn't want to go there. But he just every day just went and said, I need to hear your story. I need to hear your story. Before you know it, they started telling him, their life, and he listened. He told them his life and 
pretty soon they started, he started asking, well, what's going on here? And he says, man, it's, he says, man, they, we had this community center. We just want to play basketball, but they close it down at four o'clock and, and, you know, we're just barely getting home from schools. And so he says, man, maybe I can go and and he worked out to get it opened later. He found out that most of the drug deals happened between 10 and 12 o'clock. So he said, what if we started throwing midnight basketball parties? And, and he ordered pizza for all the kids there in the, those projects. And they started having Friday night, uh, you know, pizza and basketball. They said within one month, the crime rate just went zoom down. And then he began to ask if some of them wanted mentoring, and he began to mentor some of them. And he began to, to talk to some of them and said, who wants jobs? And he taught them how to fill out a job application. Then he talked to the businesses and said, would you hire one of these? Just give them a chance. All of a sudden, they hired him. Before you know it, the whole climate changed. They were asking him what his what his faith was, and he was able to tell them about the Lord, and, and the whole place transformed just because somebody said, I'm going to go in there, and I'm just going to care, and I can't wait to take some of you on a mission trip. Whenever we take people on a trip, we say, we're not going as rescuers. We're going simply as learners and servants and storytellers. We're just going to go learn what we can from these people, and they always teach us more than we learned, than we thought we knew. We have to be willing to just take stands, as I say, of caring and courage. And, and I already mentioned this, but some of us have a hard time with the courage part. We say, yeah, I care, but I'm, I'm, I'm afraid. <laughs> How many of you know what Jesus made a difference was he wasn't just the kindest person. He was the bravest person. I mean, he, he throws out the money changers. <laughs> In the temple, he says, you can't stop these poor people from coming in here. I'm sorry. He broke the rules to get a, a lady who'd been sick 18 years healed. He, he just caused good trouble everywhere he went. Sometimes you're going to have to speak up. Look at this verse. I just want to read it. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Read it with me. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. I believe it involves being willing to take detours. You know what I found about everyone who lives a life of compassion? Their life is full of detours. We, we called it a long time ago the ministry of inconvenience. I mean, you know, once you start caring for the needy, your life gets real complicated in the most beautiful way. <laughs> you got people, you end up, they live with you. You got people, my precious uh, nephew, you know, took his day off. He's going to help some, some fella move that, so he wouldn't be homeless. And then that place didn't work his whole day. And, and uh, he finally comes out of that. And I just loved on him. I just said, yeah, Congratulations. <laughs> Now you understand the ministry of inconvenience. You're just like Jesus. Because everywhere Jesus went, he ended up going on a detour. <laughs> He's going to help this person, but then that person needs help. How did I get stuck here? And, and he just, he says, yeah, this is called compassion. If your life is simple in order, I'm, I, I love it. I'm so glad for you. But I can tell you right now, you haven't quite got there 
when it comes to, because I have found God doesn't just bless your life, he messes with your life, all right? <laughs> Somebody know what I'm talking about. I know someone doesn't like that message right now, but he messes with your life. You mean I gotta help them? Ah. But then when you do, it's the greatest joy of your life. It's the kingdom of God. And then this last point I'll make, just so important, is that we've got to prepare to use our privilege and see it as our responsibility. There's a lot of debate around this word privilege today. And some people despise those people, and they should, they should despise what they do because they use privilege to oppress the poor, to get unfair advantages. But the fact is, all of us in some way probably qualify somewhere under the heading of privileged if we live in America. I mean, if you've been to the rest of the world, you never think that you're poor again. <laughs> the moment you flush a toilet, you say, man, I've got more than 85% of the world. <laughs> and, 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 and unfortunately, sometimes people who, quote, fit the role of privilege feel shamed about it. But God doesn't want you to feel ashamed that you're privileged. He wants you to feel responsible that you're privileged. In Luke chapter 12, verse 48, if we could see this verse, such an important verse, Luke 12, 48. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, what does it say? Much will be demanded. And from the one who has been trusted, entrusted with much, much more will be asked. King James says, to whom much is given, <laughs> much is required. This is the, the core teaching of the Bible when it comes to what we call stewardship. The word stewardship means we no longer see ourselves as owners, but as managers, because God is the owner. We no longer look at our life and say, well, I worked hard. I'm just smart, and I just tried harder. You know, what gets to me is, is when people sort of take a smug view, and they say, well, those people got what they deserve. I worked really hard, and I studied hard. And, and I said, yes, you did, and, and so glad you did. But you were born in a place you actually got to eat meals. <laughs> and you had real parents and you were not an orphan. And, and you don't understand. You had a school to go to. And you had someone who taught you what it meant to learn. And, and, and you don't understand that doors were open for you because you knew this person. And, and that person could help you. You don't understand if you're an orphan or a street kid. There's nobody you can ask to help you. You haven't done something so great if you started on third base and beat the person who had to start on first. You're only here because of unbelievable privileges that you didn't deserve, I don't deserve. And that's not to make you feel bad. That's to humble you and to say, oh my gosh, I owe a lot. And you say, God, okay. You gave me the brain I had. You gave me the body. You let me be born in America in the 20th century. Oh, my gosh. What does that mean? It means every day. I say, what does this privilege require me to do?
Who do I help? What need do I give to? I don't have a lot of, of money, but compared to most of the world, they think I'm a billionaire. <laughs> I could give more. I could give more time. I could give more. I won't be judged based on what I did compared to others, but based on what I am and what I could have been if I was completely sold out for God. God, the bar is higher for me. And I embrace that. In the Philippines one day, I'm walking into a McDonald's and there's these kids called rugby boys and they all sniff glue and they live on the streets. And I was playing with them and talking to them and they all wanted to go to McDonald's. Well, as soon as I get to the door, there's a guy literally with like a, it looked like a machine gun and he comes out and he says to those kids, stop it right there. I said, man, chill out, dude. What's happening? He says, these boys cannot come in this place. And I, and I go, come here, come here. I think I gave him a love offering. And I said, these are all my friends. And I'm paying for all of them. He said, oh, okay. Yes, come on. Yeah. I sit down. They get a happy meal. They get these kinds of things, you know, and they're going crazy. I find out they have never been in a restaurant in their entire life. And they had never eaten a hamburger. I said, are you kidding me? I said, buy these guys another hamburger, you know. And they're just going crazy. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit says, did you see what those guards did to those boys? That happens to them every single day of their life. You can't come here. You don't belong here. You're not good enough here. Go out, street boy. Go out. Go beg. Go beg. I just started to cry. And then I realized, do you see what you just did, Dale? You just opened a door. For people who could never have had that door open. What if you spent the rest of your life trying to figure out people who can't get through doors and say, God, I don't know why I got to be born in America. I don't know why, you know, I had a great education and had parents that loved me. I don't know why I got to hear about Jesus when I was three years old. But I know there's about 5 billion people who won't have any chance like I had. How do I spend the rest of my life doing for people what they couldn't do for themselves? One of the things Heart for the World does is we partner with people. I'll never forget this wonderful man named Tim Hoy. I was at a conference in California, and we were having lunch, and I met him, and he was Cambodian, and, and yet he was the principal of this Upland Christian Academy, amazing school. I said, wow. I said, tell me your story, Tim. Tell me your story. He said, yeah, I was born in Cambodia, single mom. We're barely able to eat. I wouldn't have gone to school, but this church was there, and they they got involved in this thing called Compassion International. 
One day they walked to my house and they said, hey, there's somebody in America who wants to sponsor a child. Would you like to be sponsored? It means you get to go to school. I said, of course I would. And he worked so hard. He went to college. He ended up getting a scholarship and getting to come to America. Unbelievable story. He met the Lord. He started this school and and, and, and it's a huge, huge school. And, and when I met him, I said, hey, you know, we have this friend in, in, in Zambia, and he's trying to open a, a school for orphans called Good Samaritan School for Orphans, Joseph and, and Maggie Chikumbi. And he says, tell me more. And I said, man, this place is full of orphans, and none of these kids ever get past their grade. And he says, what can we do? And all of a sudden, we create this partnership and, and this Good Samaritan School. And some people from this church went and built, one, a couple of the guys from here built the whole toilets for it. I mean, they, they still today talk about the most famous toilets in that city. But, but then some others built a fence and a wall to keep out the crime. And then others started to support and they began to support. And today, over 600 orphans are going to school there. And I just think there was somebody who just said, I'd like to sponsor a kid somewhere like Cambodia. And yeah, man, it's, it's 30 bucks a month, but I could probably do it. And, and yet one seed is thousands of lives. There's so much more that you can do than you can imagine. I just close this with a challenge. We live in a, we live in a, in a, a world a very sad world. I don't have to tell you that. Friends, the world's in trouble. America's in trouble right now. People are hurting in Las Cruces. And God has an answer, and, and it's you, and it's me. And, it, and it's you saying, God, I, I don't know what can I do. And I just put in here, my, my motto is start where you're at with what you have, with people you meet, doing what you can, with others who want to help, expecting God to do the impossible. Be a part of our, one of our dream teams or start a dream team at Heart for the World. Do it with some people. You were born to make a difference. You were born to be the light of the world. And I just want to challenge you today. Do you hear his call? Some of the people, most people were going to say, well, I'm busy, yeah. But there's a few of you who will say, I'll stand up. I'll take the challenge. I'll live the rest of my life. Will I be able to do a lot? I don't know. But I do know one thing. When I get before Jesus, I'm going to look him straight in the eye and say, Jesus, I don't know if it worked out that well or if it, it changed as much as I wanted it to change. But Jesus, I died trying. I literally died trying to make the biggest difference I could. Would you pray with me? Let's just stand Holy Spirit, we do believe that you chose us for such a time as this. You gave us so many privileges.
And you put upon us this awesome, incredible responsibility. You said, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the world. If not you, who? If not now, when? God, we hear this cry of the, of the poor. We hear the voices of the oppressed. Awakening each and every person the justice calling in their life, something that's supposed to get under their skin, something that they will change in somebody's life for all eternity. God, we're not okay with people around us just dying and going to hell. We're not okay that the culture puts lids on people that don't ever have a chance and kids don't get to grow up and have a healthy chance and they live in addiction and they have a destiny of prison and all the stuff that happens. We're just not okay with any of it. And so we say, as humbly as we can, here I am. Use me, God. Here I am. Make me brave and make me kind. Make me courageous. Make me caring. I yield to you. Just in the best way you know how, just tell the Lord right now, here I am, Lord. Ready for my assignment. Here I am, Dale Walker, reporting for duty, sir. What is it? And I just, I just pledge my life that I will spend it for the hungry, that I will spend it for the poor. I will spend it opening doors for people who could never open a door for themselves. If you just today need to rededicate your life to God, please do that right now. Just say, God, here's my heart. Thank you for the promise that if we turn from our sins, if we confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we can be forgiven. We can have eternal life. We receive that today. And if you've never done that, just claim it right now. And we're going to be up here at the front, some of us afterwards. If you would like prayer for anything else, healing, any kind, we'd love to pray for you. Now, I just bless you today. I declare over you the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. He has anointed you to go and bring justice to the poor, to bring good news to the oppressed, to comfort those who mourn, to give hope to those who have no hope. By the power and grace of Jesus Christ who lives in you, I declare over every one of you, you are world changers, difference makers transformational people for God's glory in Jesus name everybody said amen and amen God bless you thank you so much thank you for joining us for this episode of the heart for the world church sermon podcast we hope that God's word has inspired you today in a way that will boost your faith greatly we want to encourage you